Do you hear that? That is the sound of one of the most memorable scores composed by Alvin Silvestri. For the movie Back to the Future, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Today we are discussing Back to the Future, 1985 PG, one hour, 56 minutes, action, comedy, sci-fi. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Uh, cinematographer is uh, Dean Cudley and... Producers are Neil Canton, Bob Gale, Catherine Kennedy, Frank Marshall, and Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. History is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The cast. Let's, let's, let's talk about this amazing cast. Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown. Leah Thompson as Lorraine Bates. Baines, sorry. Crispin Glover as George McFly. Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen. So, back to the future... One of my all-time great favorite movies. I happened to pick up the 30-year anniversary for um, Back to the Future. It had three Blu-ray discs um, available on Amazon Prime. This is not sponsored or anything like that, but this is that's how I got it. Um, they had a deal going for like, I don't know, 20 bucks, and you got all three DVDs plus the digital codes. So I was like, I guess that's pretty much a deal. So I figured I would... Uh, make the investment. I wanted to cover Back to the Future mostly because it's a fantastic movie. I'm not going to lie. I'll just straight out say it. Um, in my opinion, it's a 9 out of 10. Nearly perfect. The uh, The script writing is so tight in it. I um, can't emphasize it enough how tight the screenplay is. And uh, just the overall film, um, the narrative structure really works, in my opinion. The budget was $19 million, and I believe that's probably for 1985 standards. And it only opened to $11 million um, U.S., which is kind of surprising. I guess they weren't really pushing the marketing too much. It went on to gross $381 million worldwide. So obviously, that's why it came back for the, the sequels. Um, as of right now, I've only watched the Back to the Future 1 movie for the recap, so that's really what we're going to focus on. Um, just what makes this movie so great? What makes it so interesting? What makes all of the, the little mechanisms, the gears inside this movie really work? Well, one, it's this amazing director, um, Robert Zemeckis. A lot of people have heard the name Robert Zemeckis, but you might not absolutely know all of his filmography. Well, some of his best filmography starts off with, uh, obviously, way back when he, uh, let me see, what, 
what did he way back when let me see he was on a couple of shorts uh he started i want to hold your hand the movie used cars romancing the stone and then started back to the future and those all lined up within uh 78 to 85. So within those short couple years, he went on to direct one of the most memorable movies uh, of all time. Let me see if he had any writing credits on anything that we were aware of back in the 80s. Um, he, was, uh, he was on the screenplay of 1941, which is notorious for being Spielberg's one of his worst movies. Um... I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh, he, I guess he was the primary writer on that. And, uh, yeah, and we know uh, Robert Zemeckis for going on and continuing to do some really impressive uh, technical work within Hollywood, such as The Polar Express. He was a director and one of the main writers on there, along with Chris Van Alberg, and he adapted that book into a, a movie. It was kind of like a CGI-styled movie. Um, a Christmas Carol, again, in 2009. And uh, he went on to direct uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 1988, and then Back to the Future Part Two in 1989, which is four years later after the first one. And then a year after Bar Back to the Future Part Two, Back to the Future Part Three, 1990. A lot of people have mixed feelings on the last two Back to the Future, so if we end up doing a review, maybe we can compare and contrast what made's, what makes the first one work in a way that the second two didn't quite capture. And they might have. I, I can't remember exactly what, what happened in them. I know uh, broadly, broad strokes what happened, but I, I do remember the first movie of Back to the Future being the superior one. And so uh, Zemeckis went on to direct Forrest Gump, 1994, sorry. Uh, Contact, 97, Castaway, 2000, Polar Express, 04, Beowulf, 07, Flight, 2012, The Walk, 2015, uh, Allied, 2016 with Brad Pitt and uh, Maria Colligard, and uh, Welcome to Marwin, which was kind of uh, was kind of ridiculed by... Uh, critics last year that was with uh, Steve Carell playing with some dolls or some shit and uh, yeah so Robert Zemeckis definitely has a wide range of movies in his um, in his court that he's directed and he's uh, kind of messed around with a lot of them do have some technical um, uh, impressiveness with whatever he's doing with the movie such as uh, you know whether it was a Christmas Carol, D8, uh, I guess it was motion capture on um, Jim Carrey's face, or The Walk when he was uh, uh, recreating one of uh, one of the most breathtaking um, ventures uh, someone's ever taken. So it he's always going above and beyond just making a movie. He wants to make something that lasts and something that well. Not something that lasts, uh, you know, is 
you know, timeless, but something that is is different is what I would say and unique in vision. And I'd say just about all of his work, whether you like it or not, is definitely unique in vision. Um, so let's talk about the uh, synopsis for this. Marnie McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the maverick scientist Doc Brown. So, um, we talked about the the director. Let's talk a little bit about some of this amazing cast. The reason Back to the Future works, in my opinion, number one reason, is this stellar cast. I think if you remove even one of these one of these individuals from the cast, you are damaging. Uh, you're taking off a tire off the Rolls Royce of this movie. I mean, I, I, I'm serious that these performances are what put you in in the film uh, and, and ground you within the film and of believability. Um, Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly is going down as one of the best all time uh, cinematic char- icon- iconic characters. In Hollywood, of all time, um, it's many people know that uh, Michael J. Fox was eventually diagnosed with Parkinson's disease um, in the early '90s. Went on to do a lot of uh, television, and uh, I think it was some voice work as well through the 90s, but eventually he had to stop uh, acting in the show Spin City, which is what he was in for a a couple of years. Let me see if I can get the actual amount of years that he was in that. Um, But it is is sad to see um, the deterioration of Michael J. Fox, considering not only was he one of the best actors in the late 80s, He's also one of the most charismatic actors, I'd say. There aren't many characters I can think off the top of my head that just are instantly gripping that you, I would be like, damn, I want to hang out with that guy. He seems so cool. He just seems like a guy you want to be around because he just seems like that kind of guy. Um, but Michael J. Fox, I mean, he, he, he just genuinely seemed, well, yeah, yeah genuine. Um, he was in Spin City from 96 to 2002. Or the Spin City was was on television from '96 to 2002, and I think he left in 2000. And uh, oh, I didn't know that he was the voice of Stuart Little. That is um, something I didn't know. Um, so Michael J. Fox has had an interesting career as well because of the Parkinson's uh, disease. It, I think it really put a dagger in his, uh, acting career. And it's, you know, obviously not his fault. It's, it's, it, it, like I said, it's, uh, it's sad to see that happen to an actor, especially at such a young age. I don't know exactly how old he was. Let me see. In 1985, he was in 1985, Michael J. Fox was 24, a year younger than I am now, and by the time he was roughly 30, oh my gosh, that sucks, um, 
By the time he was roughly 30 is when he was diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's disease. It said uh, in one of the um, trivia facts that came up that um, that it was on set in 1991 where he realized that he saw his, one of his fingers kind of twitching and he realized he couldn't stop it from moving. And so that's when he was eventually diagnosed with it. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a sore subject a little bit. And I'm sorry I didn't mean to, you know, bring it down or anything like that. But, I mean, sometimes it's important to talk about the, uh, the, the strong aspects of this movie. And I think one of the reasons that we look back on Back to the Future as one of the great um, movies and great uh, performances of all time is because that has never been captured again. It was it was very much capturing lightning in a bottle. And Michael J. Fox his uh charisma can't be can't be duplicated. And um and so that's what I think kind of solidifies his performance in this as one of the all-time greats. So um like I said, we know Michael J. Fox ended up going to be in Back to the Future 2 and 3. He ended up doing a lot of voice work. Um, like I said, he went to, on to do the voice of uh, uh, Stuart Little, which is probably where I would have recognized him. And uh, he was also in, uh, let me see anything. He was in a lot of television. I, can, I see that he was uh, in Tales from the Crypt in 91, uh, The Hard Way, 91. Uh, Homeward Bound. Uh, I used to love that movie. <laughs> the the dogs that were always trying to get the hell home in 93. Um, Life of Mikey, 93. For the Love of the Money, 93. Uh, Where the Rivers Flow North, 93. Greedy, 94. Don't Drink Water, 94. Cold Blood, 95. So he, he did a lot of work in the 90s as a voice actor. Uh, I, I would say mostly because, you know, obviously the disease. But, I mean, he still is... Featured in a lot of things, even through the uh, late 90s. The Frightened Years is uh, something that uh, seems to be popping up on his IMDb. That was directed by Peter Jackson. I'm not really familiar with it at this point. Um, and, oh, he was the, uh, he was the um, voice of Milo in Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I really liked that movie. Um, I didn't know that. So, um... Yeah, um, among other things, Michael J. Fox has been in TV, movies, animation. He's been, he's done it all, despite you know uh, the setbacks he's had. He had his own television show, the Michael J. Fox Show, um, from twenty thirteen to twenty fourteen. Um, he still does a lot of voice work, and uh, hell, he was in Destined Survivor. Um, I didn't realize that. Um, that's that one show, kind of about the president or whatever. Um, see you yesterday, and uh, he was credited with some more animation. So yeah, he's he's still working hard, and I I, I would even if we just get his voice out there, I still want to hear it. I think he's a, he's an, a, an excellent voice actor. Um, so let's see, Christopher Lloyd. This is the other major, major key in having one of the greatest of all time movies. Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown. 
Dr. Emmett Brown is an interesting character within the movie. I'll talk about the, the actor real quick. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Clue, and Adam's Family, among many other things. He's been doing tons of other work since then. He's been in a, uh, a couple of uh, smaller movies, um, a couple of television shows, Making a Killing. That was 12 Monkeys, that, that one show. He was in a movie called Boundaries in 2018, uh, The Sound 2017, uh, you know, a little bit of Big Bang Theory. Um, let's see what he did before. Um, yeah, and he's done tons of voice work. Tons of, yeah, tons of voice work. Um, let's see, 1980. God, I'm having to scroll way back to see what his stuff was before. Okay, so uh, I was going to say, Christopher Lloyd, he was... In One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in uh, 75. He was in uh, Three Warriors in 77, Going South, uh, Fantastic Seven. This is, uh, I think that was a TV movie. Um, these are, I guess, smaller movies he really worked on before he was in um, in Back to the Future. And I, I mean, tons. Okay, so and he was also in the show Taxi. Um I never heard of that. Seventy-eight to eighty-three. Um, he was in a couple episodes of Cheers, a little bit of Star Trek, uh, a couple one of those movies, and uh, then he eventually got on to uh, Back to the Future. And right after Back to the Future, uh, Clue was released. So um, yeah, and he's done. He's gone on to do tons of other things, uh, working on. Obviously, Back to the Future 2, Back to the Future 3, DuckTales, um, Adam's Family. Um, who, is he, who is he in the Adam's Family? Uncle Fester. Oh, okay. Um, Dennis the Menace. Like, he's, he's in a, a lot of different things. Not necessarily media I have seen recently, but uh, I'm just kind of scrolling through. Uh, a lot of uh, small roles here and there, like The Tick on Amazon Prime. Oh, wait, that wasn't The Tick. That was The Tick in 2001. Sorry, that's not on Amazon Prime. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he was in a little bit of West Wing. He, he's done tons of stuff. Anyways, Christopher Lloyd, one of the greatest of all time performances as Dr. Emmett Brown. He expresses this liveliness that you don't normally get in a person of his age. Honestly, I was having trouble find I was having trouble figuring out how old he was in um 1985. Let me see. Let me see. 1938. So he was 47 in Back to the Future um in Back to the Future 1985, the original. And Honestly, I thought the makeup work on him was was phenomenal. I, with the exception of like one or two scenes, I thought it was really good. Um, the majority of this film, I will say, is done on practical effects, done with practical effects. And I think that's one of the benefits to it. I think that's why it makes it feel like it's uh, kind of lively is what I would say, or grounded in a way. I'm not exactly sure what the word would be. Um it's not quite realistic, but it doesn't quite, it doesn't feel ridiculous is kind of what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, Leah Thompson. 
I think she is one of the strongest female leads in an 80s movie I can think of off the top of my head besides, uh, I, I guess uh, I was going to say uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, but that's uh, that's uh, that's the late 70s. So Leah Thompson as Lorraine Baines, I was floored with her performance, uh, even from the beginning of the movie. We... Um, let me see if I should start talking about the synopsis yet. Uh, I don't think I should talk. Not yet, not yet. Um, even from the beginning, her performance as uh, uh, as an older form of herself, I guess, uh, does an excellent job. I, I think the, the goofiness and the tiredness really comes out of the parents of Marty McFly uh, and Crispin, Crispin Glover as George McFly. Um, he's... Definitely bringing the goofiness out. Um, Leah Thompson specifically has a way of capturing the audience's attention. Yes, she is gorgeous, but she is also one hell of an actress. Like, I didn't really give her credit the first time I watched it. Mostly, I mean, first time I watched it, I wasn't thinking about acting, but... Going back and rewatching Leah Thompson's performance, like my gosh, she is um, doing things behind the scenes that you don't even realize. Like I have to go when I went back and I watched the the movie, just watching her face kind of in the background, kind of light up and react is one of the most exciting things I, I think because she's doing so much and it's it's in the background too. If that makes sense, um, I can be more specific when I'm talking the spoiler section. But I I want to say she's doing a lot with, uh, I don't want to say it's a little because I do think they gave her a substantial role in this movie. I do think she's kind of this, um, she's a little bit too much of a damsel in distress in some points. But with the exception of that, and the kind of weird plot line with uh, you know Marty. Um, I think it's excellent. Um, let's talk about, well, I can talk about a little bit of her filmography real quick. Leah Thompson, uh, is best known for Back to the Future, I think. But she's been in tons of TV movies, and, uh, she's also been using her voice, using, uh, in voice acting, getting some voice work, um, in animated series, you know, such as Family Guy, um, American Dad, some some kids television shows, The Muppets. Um, many people know her best from Howard the Duck, way back when. Um, I'm trying to find the year after Back to the Future was released. She um, she came out with Howard the Duck in 1986, and uh, as uh, Beverly Switzler, and. Let me see anything else. She was also in Red Dawn in 1984, which was right before that, and uh, All the Right Moves in 83. Um, And I did not know there was a Jaws 3D in 1983. She was also in that. So she had a little bit less experience coming into Back to the Future than the rest of her, uh, um, the other actors. But I think she did just as good of a job, if not better. I, like, I, I'm so enthralled with the way that Leah Thompson 
performed her character. I I can't say enough good things about it, mostly because there's so many just tiny little um, mannerisms and things she has to say that really, really uh, live in the character. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, she went on to do, uh, you know, back to the, more Back to the Future, and she was also in Dennis the Menace, the Beverly Hillbillies, and the uh, Little Rascals. I think that's where I remember seeing her from. Uh, she's done some television uh, for the people, which is uh, never heard of that before. A little, she was on some Law and Order. She was on Jane Doe. I'm not really sure what that show is. Um, but yeah, she's been in some. Uh, looks like straight to DVD stuff in the early 2000s. Fatal Secrets in 09, The Christmas Claws, 08, Exit Speed 08, Senior Skip Day 08. Never heard any of these. Just sound like straight to DVDs. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, she also was in J. Edgar, um, the movie with Leo DiCaprio, um, and then she went to do a lot of more um, voice acting. So Leah Thompson, that's really what she's been up to. She um, is one of the better actresses in this movie, I would say. Crispin Glover, another standout performance as George McFly. So really this podcast is very much about the the things that work in this movie, and it is each one of these characters. Crispin Glover is um, definitely an intriguing-looking guy, uh, among other things. He is only in the first Back to the Future because I think there was some sort of uh, deal or something that happened behind the scenes that made it so that uh, he would he was unable to um, return in the other. Oh, okay, here it is. Okay, Crispin Glover was one of three actors from Back to the Future, nineteen eighty five, who was replaced by another actor in the sequels. Um, Eric Stoltz was replaced by Michael J. Fox in the original production. Claudia Wells was replaced by Elizabeth Shue in the sequels. That was uh, Marty's girlfriend. Uh, Glover did not reach a financial agreement with the producers, and this is why George McFly, played by Jeffrey Wiseman, appears only in a handful of scenes. And this is why the plot of Back to the Future 2... Um, Okay, I can't really talk about that. Um, okay, so, yeah, I uh, I had wondered why he didn't come back. So it was because of a contract negotiation didn't go right. and that Which is interesting because he is an excellent part of this film. Uh, he's the father of Marty McFly in the movie. And I was uh very much floored with him he is just an absolute goofball in the movie george mcfly is um he's gullible he's somewhat of a nerd he has zero confidence and uh like zero self-awareness i guess i don't know he's just just a very strange weird guy among being um yeah having some proclivities i guess um crispin glover he also has had an interesting uh, career. He was in American Gods most recently. Um, let's see what he did before Back to the Future. He was in... So he had a handful of stuff. He was in a 
Best of Times TV movie, Crisis, Crisis Counselor for one episode, The Facts of Life, one episode, The Kid with the 200 IQ, uh, TV movie, My Tutor, 83, High School USA, 83, Happy Days, one episode, Hill Street Blues, Friday the, the 13th, The Final Chapter, uh, Teachers, 84, and then he was in Back to the Future, 85. So after Back to the Future, he went to do... Uh, he was in a couple episodes of Family Ties, At Close Range, 86, River's Edge, 86, Twister, 89. Um, wait, was it was Twister with uh, Bill Paxton? No, that, that's, I guess that's a different one. Huh. Um, the Doors, 91, Hotel Room for one episode, miniseries. So he's done kind of some small stuff in in coming up in the 90s and late or late 2000s. He was in Charlie Charlie's Angels 2000. Um, I remember him the best from Like Mike being that terrible, um, uh, what is it called, foster home uh, guardian. He was, he was like abusing the kids. It was, it was, it was real fucked up what was going on in that shit. But he's also been in other movies. He rejoined up with, uh, Robert Zemeckis for Beowulf, I believe, in 2007 um, as Grendel. So he's done uh, a lot of work, not terribly prominent work. I would say he's done some voice work as well, very much on the same trajectory as uh, Leah Thompson a little bit. Not, not doing big banging movies, but he's doing some small stuff on the side. So that pretty much covers... The majority of the main cast, we do have one more actor that I want to kind of cover in depth. Thomas F. Wilson. He's the guy that plays Biff. And I think his performance is kind of campy and ridiculous. But the way he kind of, he turns his character on a dime and is able to uh, play an older and younger version of himself, I think is pretty impressive, just like all these other characters have to do. Uh so I didn't realize there was a Back to the Future television show. Oh, and he went to reprise his voice in that. I didn't even see that. Let's see. Marty is not... Oh, wow. Let me see. Christopher Lloyd's in it a little bit, and so is Biff, but they're not the main characters, it looks like. Hmm. So let's see what he did before Back to the Future. He was on one episode of Knight Rider, the facts of one episode of Facts of Life, L.A. Street Fighters, and then he was on Back to the Future. He was on two television shows and one movie before he was on Back to the Future. That is quite impressive for um, Thomas F. Wilson, considering he's probably the the least experienced actor uh, from all of them, and he went on to do tons of other stuff. Good lord, I'm. Trying to scroll through all of it, I'll just give you a handful of stuff real quick. He was in the Batman animated series after this for the uh, for his voice. Um, he was on episode of Psych. He's on tons of video games. I was actually surprised to see how many video games he's listed on. Um, he is, yeah, yeah, tons of Wii video games. Now that I'm looking at it. Um, yeah, honestly, he was in one episode of Workaholics. He was on uh, Mosaic for two episodes, Troll Hunters, SpongeBob SquarePants, um, and Captain Underpants. I mean, this guy's using his voice in every way possible. So, 
Uh, I'm glad he's still getting out there. Let's see if there's anything. He was also in the Heat in 2013, but I don't even know who that what that is. Um, so yeah, those are the main reasons that this movie is is so damn good. I would say all of the performances throughout the entire Back to the Future movie are insanely good. Um, no complaints on any of the fronts. Um, like I said, this movie is shy of two hours. It is, uh, I'd say it's a, it's a nicely stuffed, um, double stuffed two hours. I think a lot happens in this two hours. You visit a lot of locations. They kind of keep you in like one corner of the, uh, the, the town. So that you can tell that they kind of outfitted one side of the town. I don't know exactly what the, uh, the behind the scenes look like, but, um, I did, I did realize that they were kind of shooting in in one location when they're in the town. Let me see if I can see where the that location was. It looks like it was in a uh, uh, Hill Valley exterior George House. Marty arriving. So it's in California. It looks like Walt Disney's Golden Oak Ranch. Hmm. Okay. So uh, this is kind of cool. I didn't even realize you can go on IMDb and check out all of the. The places where they shot, um, where they shot everything. I mean, they even they say like Twin Pines Mall, uh, or slash Lone Pine Mall, um, in uh, Punta Hills Mall. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong, <laughs> but uh, Lorraine's house, Lorraine's house, uh, South Pasadena, California. Uh, George McFly's house, South Pasadena. So, yeah, it's uh, that's kind of cool to see all this stuff. Um, this movie was released in July, July 3rd, 1985. So that summer was pretty hot, I think. Um, let me see anything else we want to talk about before we kind of jump into it. Um, I did talk about the practicality of the effects. I think, like I said, the acting, the effects, the budget, all of its work, the writing, all of it works on every cylinder possible. I would like to talk about this movie and um, real quick, the music. Alvin Silvestri, one of the most memorable scores of all time. The uh, it, I, I'm sure I did that wrong, but I'll maybe insert it, whatever. Alvin Silvestri went on to do uh, tons of more work that you've heard of. The Polar Express, Forrest Gump, Captain America, Predator, uh he, yeah, yeah, and uh, he's done tons of other work, even on my favorite shows, uh, like Mr. Robot. Um, Alvin Silvestri is responsible for making one of the most memorable uh, themes of all time, and I definitely think that this coincides with uh, why it's one of the best. It's one of the most memorable, honestly. So... Let me see if there's anything else we want to talk about from uh, the non-spoiler POV. We've talked about it for 40 minutes and haven't even talked about the damn movie. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's hop into spoiler section. We can talk about this movie, basically break down the plot. Um, Okay, so now we are in the spoiler section of Back to the Future. The... Let me see. I'm going to do the synopsis one more time. A 17-year-old school student is accidentally sent 30 years into the past 
using a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his friend, Dr. Emmett Brown. So, from the start of this movie, I mean, just the first frame, I mean, we're pulling out of this massive room of clocks. You're like, what the fuck is going on? You got this uh, plutonium that has definitely been stolen and is reported on the television. And you see the box underneath the uh, the bed. Tons of storytelling all in the first, let's say, I don't know, 10 minutes. Done at an expert pace. I love the intro to this movie. You learn so much about the just the OCD crazy uh, scientist Doc Brown without even seeing him. And so uh, we also get a great introduction to Marty McFly playing his guitar in one of the biggest fucking uh, subs you've ever seen in your life. And apparently uh, he can actually play the guitar. Uh, he was taught, uh, uh, sorry, not Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox can really play the guitar. Um, so yeah, and which ends up coming, coming through later in the movie, you know, when he plays at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. So the, um, yeah, the movie, the movie continues. You end up seeing Dr. Emmett Brown, uh, show off the DeLorean to, uh, you know, Marty and whatnot. Everything's awesome. You see all of this there's a ton. I mean, I've never seen so much product placement in a movie that I've realized, but also not cared at the same time. I don't know what about it, but I mean, you had JVC, you had Pepsi, you had Burger King, you had uh, uh, so many different brands, JCPenney, um, tons of brands that are in this movie that get airtime that they don't stop to say, hey, look at this. So, um, the product placement in this movie is done expertly. Um, there's one specific scene I'm thinking of when they're looking at the, the, the tape and the the tape recorder happens to be a JVC recorder and it's sitting on top of the television. So it's good product placement. They're not like, hey, let's use this JVC camcorder or something. You know, it's, it's very much just like it's in the shot, but it doesn't need to be spoken about. Um, that's what I like about it this product placement as opposed to just stopping the whole film to talk about whatever the product is. Um, let me see what else. Uh, the introduction of all the characters are done expertly. When you introduce, when you're introduced to the family and in, in the beginning, you realize even the entire house, like the details in this movie are sweated and they, they sweat the details in this movie and that's what makes it so good. Just, the redecoration of the entire house from the beginning when he's quote unquote, uh, middle class to upper middle class at the end of the movie, the entire room is different. Um, the way that the siblings are acting are completely different. Um, and I love the way they're introduced, you know, they're, they're, they're goofballs or they just don't give a shit about certain things. And, uh, yeah, I just, was very impressed with the technical ability and the small details that go into this movie. Um, once again, it's like smart screenwriting is what I would say. 
So the introduction of the family, you see Leah Thompson is an alcoholic. She's kind of not taking care of herself as well. They, 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 the old, old, quote unquote, old people, um, makeup on Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson doesn't look great because they are, they, they are younger at this time. Uh, so I will say that it was good for the time, but you know, because our cameras now are a lot better, we can kind of see the, the cracks in it. But overall, um, the acting is what really sells it. And, uh, George McFly, my God, that guy is just a fucking goofball and dweeb. Um, even in, at the dinner scene when they're all talking, it's like Leah Thompson's talking about, you know, the first time that she realized she was going to spend the rest of her life with them. And it sounds like she's regretting it in every cent, you know, every word she says, and he's just not paying attention, watching this stupid television show that actually ends up coming back later in the movie. I'd say there's so many things about this movie that are set up, um, just like the Twin Pines Mall. That becomes the Lone Pine Mall once uh, Marty goes back and runs over one of the pines. So it's... And then he comes back and the mall has a different name. It's small things like that I really enjoy about the movie. It makes me want to go back and just check out the uh, the, the details and stuff that I didn't even see um, the first, second, third, or whatever time it's been, I've, I've watched it, but, um, there's so many things. I feel like I'm still finding little Easter eggs within this movie. Um, and so, yeah, once I, I would say the pacing is, is just excellent. It just keeps going. You're introduced to the world, the characters, what they like, what they do, the motivations. Emmett Brown introduced the DeLorean. I, I was curious about the, uh, is a DeLorean a Toyota? Because there was a Toyota commercial like almost immediately. Is uh, DeLorean Toyota? Let me see. I don't think it was owned by Toyota at the time. Let me see. Because there is a because that would make sense to have that uh, I don't think it was I don't think so uh, sports car DeLorean originally maxified John DeLorean DeLorean Metal Company American market model years eighty one through eighty three. The car designed by Giordo Girgo stood out for its gull wing doors and brushed stainless steel outer body panels, as well as its innovative fiberglass body structure with steel backbone chassis. Initially, it became wideless. Widely known for its disappointing lack of power and performance, which didn't match the expectations created by the looks and price tag. But later, after 1985, the DeLorean became iconic for its appearance as the time machine in the Back to the Future media franchise. So, wow, I didn't realize that the DeLorean actually had stopped producing after 83. It only ran production for like two to three years. Um, 
so yeah, I don't think it was owned by a Toyota, actually. For some reason, there's like a Toyota commercial, right? I feel like it was right at the beginning. But anyways, um, yeah, I love the introduction of the DeLorean. They actually sit there in the parking lot uh, talking about the DeLorean and explaining to the audience. I- I'll talk about that. I think the explanation to the audience is is excellent because we need to know. We don't know how the hell this fucking thing works, but we understand the plutonium powers the DeLorean. The DeLorean takes you wherever you need to go. So, um, yeah, I th- I thought the explanation of how the time time works is generally okay. Some of the time shiftiness can be a little bit funky, but other than that, I thought they did an excellent job explaining to the audience and to whoever that needs to know. They're explaining to Marty, and Marty is the proxy for us. So, um, it's uh, it's explained quickly, is what I would say, which goes along with that pacing. I will say the racial politics of this, eh, you know, the sexual pol the 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 sexism politics, eh, you know, some of that is kind of stuck it rooted in 1985 and you can you can tell a little bit especially with the biff stuff later i'll talk about that um but like i said the racial politics randomly there's terrorists that are trying to kill emmett brown with like a rocket launcher and ak-47s like they're coming out of like the taliban or something it is um it's kind of odd and out of left field and it does feel a little bit uh I don't know. I, I'm one of those people that are gonna say I'm not crazy about the pretty much the only person of character, one of the first people of color you see happens to be probably. I think it, they specifically say he's speaking Arabic, um, is trying to kill our main characters. It's like, oh my gosh, again. So, but it's to it's to be expected with uh, the racial politics of 1985, just random, randomly having. Uh, a darker skinned individual try to kill our main characters. And, um, yeah, so it's a little bit crazy with the Libyans or whatever they're trying to do, but I, I get what they're trying, what they were shooting for. I, I don't know if that they should have done, you know, that, but, um, you know, Dr. Emmett Brown ends up ripping off some terrorists. So it comes back to bite him in the ass. So, uh, from there, Marty goes to, uh, goes to the to the future and one thing i forgot to mention was the fact that they put the uh they put einstein the dog in the back to the future future car uh the delorean to go back to the future way before uh marty goes and i was thinking they uh, i mean dr emmett brown was taking a chance with that you know having einstein go and and uh i mean there's in a different movie, Einstein, you know, could be very much not in a good place right you know, after going 88 gigawatts per hour or whatever the fuck. Um, I thought it was interesting that he sent the dog first, that he sent, you know, his his, his dog first. Um, ends up being okay. So, um, along with everything else, uh, let's continue. He's going to the, the past. After... Uh, Michael J. Fox, sorry, Marty McFly is forced into the DeLorean um, and almost killed by the Libyans. He, in 1955, which was the year that um, was the 
year and day. It was the specific day that I think Dr. Emmett Brown fell off a toilet and uh, ended up creating time travel. And so it it makes sense for that to be the day. The more I think about it, I wondered how, in the screenplay what day they originally wanted to go to, if they were going to go back to the future or back to, you know, if they're going to travel in time, what was the original date they were going to go? Because 1955 is oddly, um, uh, it's within, that's not the time I would have said that they probably originally thought of, but they probably went with the budget. They said, we can only have this much, you know, we can't create an entire new world. We can't create skyscrapers and, uh, and and the stuff that we need to do on that type of budget. So going back in time, I guess, makes more sense. Um, so, uh, like I said, there's tons of Easter eggs within this movie, uh, such as the Twin Pines Mall being the Lone Pine Mall. There's a lot of uh, Star Wars uh, references in this, you know, Darth Vader and whatnot. Um I'm sure Star Wars was really popular at the time, um, given it was, it, it's pretty much all around this day, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, yeah, so let me think of anything else we need to talk about, just, uh, yeah, I, this movie is as much as an adventure as it is a comedy, and I thought that's what really is endearing about it because I, I'm oh I'm cracking up I like I'm I'm laughing a lot throughout it and I've seen this movie I, so many times I'm still laughing just as much I'm still worried that he's not going to get back to the future in time um even though I know what's going to happen it's just it's a fantastic movie to have me still on pins and needles not knowing what's going to happen uh even though I know it's going to happen you know um, they say that's the mark of a good movie, and if you can rewatch it and still get that feeling and that thrill, um, I will say, let me see, the uh, the whole plot with Leah Thompson's character is Lorraine kind of falling for Marty while he is back in time. That always weirded me out a tad bit back in the day. I didn't really quite understand what was going on because I was you know a child when I was watching this originally. And uh, rewatching it as a, you know a twenty five year old man, it is it's awkward as fuck. <laughs> like it's the the complete introduction and everything. Even it, his parents as a whole would be a clusterfuck to go back. I you know just thinking about it myself. If you were going back to talk to your folks back in the let's just say the fifties, if that's when they lived or whenever. It would just be a fucking weird experience to talk to a young version of uh, your pops or your mom or whoever the hell uh, you know took you know raised you, and um, his just Michael J. Fox's reaction from uh, you know waking up from being hit by I guess it's his grandfather at this point. Um, that hits him with the car and is supposed to hit George with the car when George is doing some peep and Tom shit, which is pretty much never addressed again. But, um, uh, there, there's just some interesting, uh, yeah. Proclivities with George McFly for one thing, but also with the entire movie having this very, uh, not so subtle incest plot line where his mother's got the hots for him. It's like, 
<laughs> it's like, no. And um, there's small things that they show Lorraine doing throughout the movie. Uh, you know, her her expression of when she's seeing Marty, you know, kind of show off and, you know, do the the whole skateboarding bit around Biff in the 50s and Biff getting slung into the dung. Uh, you know, she's like, oh, my gosh, isn't he a dreamboat? And um, it's just like the things they have for saying, it, it definitely feels like it's rooted in 1955. I'm not exactly sure if that's what they said, but um, just the way she would act. I felt like she acted like pretty much a high school girl that, you know, is good, but she's also got these she's got the hots for him and you can obviously tell and it's just uh it's awkward on all levels so seeing uh having the plot line of marty be stuck in 1955 and have his parents um have to get together have to kind of play matchmaker for his parents it's it's a very fun plot line and uh you know, George McFly is literally the biggest doofus you could see in, in 1955 and they got him to do it. So, um, yeah, I thought, I, I just think it's excellent. The performance that, uh, is, is given no matter what age range they are at, you know, Crispin Glover and uh, Leah Thompson did a stellar job, uh, both as young, uh, McFlies and older McFlies. And, uh, Seeing the the characters, the way they act after all of it is said and done at the very end, once Marty is back from the future, is uh, it's cool to see Crispin Glover kind of have this confidence boost because the entire movie you see him the least amount of confidence, the biggest doofus, and then at the end he's got the money, he's got Biff working for him, he's got uh, the confidence, and he's a writer. Um I kind of forgot that about that in the original. So the he's successful all because of Marty. And yes, you can look at the entire movie and say, well, isn't that convenient? You know, he ends up pretty much nothing changes except for the fact that he's uh, uh, more in a uh, wealthier living uh, environment, I guess. You know, they're, they're upper middle class as opposed to lower middle class. And uh, yeah, that, I guess that's a good message to put through, but ultimately I think the message would come from, uh, you know, the decisions you make as, uh, a youngster coming back to, uh, not quite haunt you, but, but define who you are. The decisions you make as, you know, a youngin are the ones that are going to define you later, I guess. And that's kind of what the message is of the movie. Um, Obviously, there's tons of commercialism with the, the product placement in this. Uh, they're definitely not trying to touch on that. But um, and and they've created some some of the most iconic iconic imagery within all of media. I mean, you got the the. I guess this is Back to the Future. Back to the Future Two um, has uh, some of the the Nikes that are really popular. Um, They've got the DeLorean, obviously, from the first one. They've got uh, the, uh, let me see. They Pepsi Free was really trying to push their product in this, and I don't think that movie ended up, uh, sorry, that product ended up becoming anything. I think it was uh, like a sugar-free alternative or something for a soda. So, 
Anything else about the movie? I think we've really gone in an in-depth discussion on it. Um, I didn't really want to do a plot, you know, uh, a scene-by-scene detailed explanation of it, but uh, I did watch a little bit of the uh, the, uh, behind-the-scenes. Not behind-the-scenes, not deleted scenes. And all of the deleted scenes were... I'm glad they took them out. I mean... One one of the scenes was called like uh, Peanut Brittle, and it's uh, George McFly is um, basically being sold Girl Scout cookies by this girl that barges in his house and says, "Will you buy a box?" And he's like, "No," and she's like, "Pretty please," and he's like, "I guess," and he just breaks down. And something about the scene definitely didn't feel uh, whole or finished, and. The way that the deleted scenes are presented are it looks like they have the original movie right about five seconds right before the deleted scene happens. It's in regular resolution and regular picture frame. Everything's fine. And then when it goes into the deleted scene, it is like this completely different resolution. It looks like it's like film stock or something like that. And it's the same thing for each of the deleted scenes. Each of the, the deleted scenes are at different stages of being finished, which is kind of weird. It looks like they decided on some some levels, they were like, oh, we like that scene, we like that scene, keep it, keep it. And they're like, oh, fuck it, fuck it, we'll just throw it away. And they just decided not to finish it. And uh, there's a couple scenes that are like that. The peanut, I think the peanut brittle was one. There was another one where you, it's Doc Brown's belongings, and it's a case full of Doc Brown's stuff, and he's looking through this, his stuff, which it's like a... It's things from the future. He's like, oh, this is very nice. This is very cool. And then he finds a Playboy, and it's this, like, you know, visual gag that he's, like, looking at uh, a Playboy from the future saying, oh, this is going to be, you know, the future looks very bright now, Marty. And it's like, what the fuck? And, uh, yeah, so there's scenes like that that were taken out of the movie that I think are are for good measure. Um, There was another scene that I didn't mention let me see uh pinch me was another one that was when marty mcfly immediately gets to 1955 he's like he runs up to a lady apparently he's like i need you to pinch me you know you like pinch me i'm dreaming kind of thing and apparently she slaps him or something like that it just looks it, it's an odd scene and a, a cop comes up to him and he's like, you know you all right and he just and marty just casually just walks away it's a very awkward scene um She's Cheating was another one, uh, and that's the Leah Thompson is in class cheating off of another student. And I guess it's really trying to push down this uh, this message that Leah Thompson, the Lorraine as a character, was she was uh, she was a cheater. She was a drinker, she was a smoker, she was fornicating in the parking lot, you know? She was doing everything she said she wasn't at the beginning of the movie. She was like, I never sat in a car with a boy much. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm glad they took that out because I think they really pushed that, you know, she's a drinker, she's a smoker in the car, and we know that she's uh, into sex based on what she's um, or she's interested in sex based on her actions when uh, Marty is in her room. Uh, let me see. Darth Vader extended version. Uh, 
this is when uh, Marty is in George's house and he's threatening him, saying you need to go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Apparently he just goes into more depth saying that he's going to melt his brain and stuff like that. They eventually cut it, which make a lot more sense. But the extended Darth Vader scene completely changes some of the characters as we know it. Uh, <laughs> Marty chloroforms, chloroforms uh, his father, George McFly, young McFly, after he does that Darth Vader scene. It makes him pass out basically on a wall and then he is scaling George's house and jumps in Dr. Emmett Brown's car. And right before they get away, he's like, I, I chloroformed him and it got him good. I hope I didn't do too much. And then he drives away. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> he literally just whipped out some chloroform and, and like put it over his mouth. And it was I mean, that is a different movie right there. Uh, just, it's so surprising that that scene was even written in the in it. Like, uh, the way that it, I think it's edited is just like, you know, he says, you're going under the Enchantment of the Sea dance. And then he's like, goodbye. And it, it cuts away. And instead of showing him chloroform his dad <laughs> and then leave, um... That is some intense shit, and I'm I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, along with, uh, let me see, peanut brittle. The the peanut brittle defined uh, George McFly and his uh, unwillingness to to stand up for himself. Pinch me, pinch me was, uh, I guess that was more or less uh, uh, Marty McFly not realizing you know he's in 1955. Doc's personal belongings. This is characterization of a person of of the character. Uh, sorry, of the character Emmett Brown, and it defines him when he sees these things. She's cheating once again. This defines the the character. She's she's cheating off of a test. Lorraine is Darth Vader. This the fact that he's chloroforming his pops. That's defining. Uh, that's defining two characters. Uh, Emmett Brown and Marty McFly. I mean, when that happened, I was like, this is some Rick and Morty level shit. Because <laughs> that's insane. Um, Hit Me George, that was kind of, that was a pointless um, scene. It's like a, it's like a one minute scene of uh, Marty and George talking in his backyard saying, you know, I, what what the plan is when Biff is going to come. And I'm glad they took it out because they kind of showed the kind of punch that that uh, George is going to throw at Biff eventually. Um, you got a permit, which is the cop coming up to uh, Dr. Emmett Brown's uh, weather um, station, which was the DeLorean in, in the middle of the street. Uh, and he said, you know, you got a permit for this? And when he walks down and you, what you see is Marty uh, putting in the letter that is warning Doc Brown of his fate. And in the background you is Dr. Emmett Brown, you know, acting like he's reaching for a permit. But really, it cuts to it, and there's an actual scene of Dr. Emmett Brown pulling out a 50 and giving it to the cop and showing the cops being paid off. And so that defines the character of Emmett Brown and the cop. I thought it was interesting they decided to take this out because 
when I originally watched the movie, when I when you originally watched Back to the Future, he's like, you got a permit for this? And he's like, yes. And it cuts to the next scene. You don't think about it. But if, okay, so that has two lines of thinking. That if you keep that scene in there, keep him giving that $50 to the cop, it defines Emmett Brown as kind of, Working between laws, you know, he's not exactly an, uh, a lawful guy is what I would say. He, you know, he works outside the law using, you know, whatever method he needs necessary. Versus if you say, hey, do you got a permit? And he comes down and says, yes. And instead of, you know, it, it, assuming he's getting ready to show it like in the movie he's about to show he says oh yes i definitely have a permit and you get down and it cuts away and you assume that emmett brown gave the cop the permit if he does that you assume wow emmett brown thought about everything he doctor doctor scientist emmett brown he's thinking about everything the nitty-gritty things he makes this model of the city he shows, you know, he knows how to make the DeLorean go back in time. He's even thought about the small things, such as having a permit on the streets during the night of the enchantment dance and, and the, you know, the ceremony and everything that needs to go on. I was like, I was thinking, I was like, good gosh, that is a smart guy. And to have, uh, you know, the writers even put a thing, uh, you know, write a cop or or someone of the city uh, a city official come up and ask him you know you got a permit for this um as a kid i would have been like uh you know what well, this is kind of a pointless scene but as an adult you really have to have permits for shit you got to have permits to do just about everything so um it it made me respect dr emmett brown more knowing that he had a permit versus if he paid the cop which is I, I find that fascinating as a, a deleted scene because it completely changes your opinion of who Dr. Emma Brown is. So, um, yeah, that, sorry I went on the tangent, but I, I really do think that that's one of the most interesting things, um, aspects of these deleted scenes, such as, you know, the Darth Vader scene and him chloroforming his pops. Uh, you got a permit and, uh, the phone booth, the phone booth was another thing I was unaware of. So, you are um so in the deleted scene the phone booth this is right when marty is getting ready to get taken out by biff um and he's and biff is going to jump in the car with lorraine marty is you know having that awkward conversation with lorraine she says oh my gosh i feel like i kissed my brother and you know the switch of Lorraine's face on that is uh, one of those times I'm talking about, we you know her really good acting skills. I mean, she's like, she's like, Ooh, I just kissed my brother, you know? So it's, uh, it, it's that kind of reaction and her reaction, her expression, um, from going, you know, Oh my gosh, it's Calvin Klein. He's so hot to, Oh my God, I just killed my brother. It's, it, it's, it's like, it's 
the contrast is what I like about it, and uh, it's a great performance overall. Anyways, the phone booth, the deleted scene, the phone booth, Crispin Glover is late to getting Biff out of the car, you know, to saying, get your damn hands off her. And you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Why is he late? And so they edited out a part where there's kind of this redheaded bully throughout the movie that's kind of picking on him. He ends up pushing uh, Crispin Glover... Sorry, Crispin Glover is trying to figure out what the fuck the time is. He looks at like three different clocks and then jumps in a phone booth and then calls an operator to try to figure out what the time is. While he's in the phone booth, the redheaded guy shoves a broom in between the handle to make it uh, the door stuck. And so the entire – and the principal comes up and says, this is why you're a slacker and decides not to let him out. <laughs> I was like, fuck, what the – what the hell's going on? And uh, so anyway, the entire time Marty is stuck in a trunk, uh, uh, Crispin Glover, uh, George McFly is stuck in a phone booth. And so I can kind of see why they took the scene out because it is technically unnecessary and, you know, taking it out, leaving it in really doesn't do anything for it. It just kind of adds another, you know, thing that they have to worry about. Um but uh, I thought it was an interesting choice to even put it in there. I was like, geez. So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely makes me want to look at more deleted scenes in multimedia just because the deleted scenes that were deleted here, I mean, were all character-driven. I mean, they, they all define the character traits of our favorite characters. And if any of these scenes were left in, it kind of dilutes the character we know. It. Um, so, yeah, I... I can't say enough good things about the the Back to the Future show. Uh, uh, I was going to say show. Back to the Future um, movie. Uh, the entire time I was thinking, I was like, I really wish there was a, a cartoon about this because I think that they could really mine a lot of things from this uh, IP. And uh, there actually was a Back to the Future cartoon back in, I think, the 90s. Didn't really look into it too hard. Um, I'm sure it's not for uh, adults or anything like that. I think it's way more, uh, you know, it's it's children centric. I would say, but uh, overall, fantastic movie. I can't, like I said, can't say enough good things about it. Um, James Tolkien is Mr. Strickland. What an asshole. Billy Zane, uh, looking like a jackass in the back of. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, of the bullies, yeah, uh, it, as usual. It, it kind of reminds me of the Lion King, actually, with with uh, the bullies. The way you got you get the leader, and then you got three or four extra ones that are just hanging around the dumb one. Um, so yeah, you you kind of get a, a feel for that. Uh, Donald Fullove was Goldie Wilson, who was the um, let's just say pretty much the only person of color on the cast really um it it's not it's a very white cast i mean you know besides all of the things that i've said about it um and there is uh, a subplot with you know oh there'll never be a a black mayor or something like that and it's very much i don't know if you needed to do all that you know go 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 full with the the race thing but um yeah maybe just make it just a tad more diverse and i would love it i think that that would be the movie i mean but the fact is it's a 1955 movie and uh i 
it's hard to say there was, or it's not a 1955 movie. It takes place in 1955, so it's hard to say that the, there was tons of diversity all over the place. So, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty much the only thing. Some one of the best movies of all time. I gave it a nine out of ten. Relentlessly uh, rewatchable. If I forgot anything, I'll add it in the show notes. Um, I appreciate you listening to the Luck It Out podcast. I really couldn't do this without you. Um, comments, questions, concerns, the Luck Dog podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the social medias, no matter what we're doing. We've got, we've got the Instagrams, we got the Facebook groups, we got the uh, the Twitch streams, we got it all. Uh, if you're feeling uh, generous, please donate at uh, paypal.me slash the Luck Dog podcast. Um, the link is down below. All donations help grow the podcast, help us improve on, uh, you know, harness our skill, buy new movies, go to new movies, you know, rent new movies and, um, you know, help us with streaming and stuff. Um, you know, podcasting is not free. You got to buy a bunch of bullshit for it. And then you got to pay a bunch of services, service fees. So, uh, yeah, I, I would appreciate uh, any donations. Thank you for the Lucky Dog Podcast uh, subscriptions and uh, comments and you know questions. Everything that y'all submit, I appreciate. Thank you. And uh, we couldn't do it without you. Take it easy. One part, don't know one. Check out what. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Ah! Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future.